Hello, scaredy cats! Welcome to Jump Scare, the show where I bring you into the frightening world of horror. I am your host, Sierra Caballero. Welcome to part one of the Children in Horror series. been the embodiment of innocence and purity, but when they are thrown into the genre of horror, the innocence so ingrained in the portrayal of children can be challenged, subverted, or lost. This has made children a very important symbolic and metaphorical tool for successful horror storytelling, even making horror films even more terrifying. You could say that they are revolting children living in revolting times. Only Matilda fans would get that. I'll see my way out. Um, as we grow up, we begin to materialize our own childhood fears, facing them through watching horror movies or reading scary comic books or reading terrifying tales by Stephen King under our sheets with a flashlight. Uh, there have been many fairy tales like Hansel and Gretel, with children having to survive, not being eaten, you know. And seeing the embodiment of our fears in the form of a child can be unsettling, to say the least. To better express how children are portrayed in horror, I found a nifty chart created by Andrew Scahill, who wrote The Revolting Child in Horror Cinema, Youth Rebellion, and Queer Spectatorship. If you want a more in-depth analysis on children in horror, be sure to check out his book. Children are not governed by the norms of society, and they aren't necessarily a part of it just yet. They are unpredictable, naive, innocent, misunderstood, and a myriad of other descriptions. Even some children are still learning to talk, walk, and, um, you know, normal other things. They are therefore seen as the other. Children on their own evoke emotion from the audience the moment they show up on screen, whether it be to the need to protect them or that they are already afraid of them. These films cause us to revisit our own childhood memories and fears we have repressed or may impact us differently if we have children of our own. From the chart, we can see various types of children, the innocent, the child of nature, the dreamer, the wise child, and the trickster. From these labels alone, you can probably already place a few characters into categories alone, and I will be using this chart to give some weight to some of my descriptions. However, for the sake of clarification, I will use some simple labels to help discuss the types we see in film, and then maybe we can go back to the chart and place them in there. Though many of the films end with the realization that once the evil child is defeated, much like in The Exorcist, we kind of realize that in retrospect, that it, that what's left is a very traumatized Regan, or like in Rhonda, when the monstrous child dies, we're like, oh well, it's technically a child just died. It's still tragic. It's you're still thinking in your head, this child just faced something traumatic or tra or tragic. But what happens when the child turns out to not actually? be a child. Much like the belief that demons disguise themselves as children to, you know, lure you in, or children that are actually aliens or artificial intelligence children like Haley Joel Osment's character in AI, 
Does this mean the narrative changes? One film, you could argue, absolutely challenges and even distorts the many foundations of the study on children and horror. That film, of course, being Orphan from 2009, as Esther is presented and, of course, played by a child, Isabel Furman. And, of course, if you saw the poster before seeing the film, you immediately think this is your typical film about an evil child. Well, spoiler alert, it is revealed at the end that Esther is not a child, but a grown woman whose growth is stunted by hypopurity. Hypopuritism? Okay, hypopuritism. I'm having a hard time. Hypopuritarism. Stunted by hypopuritarism. The decreased hyposecretion of one or more of the eight hormones normally produced by the pituitary gland at the base of the brain. Thank you. Thank you to those encyclopedias for the description. Once the truth is revealed, the audience's perception changes and Esther's death is actually celebrated by the audience rather than seen as a horrid tragedy. And many of her violent and sexual behaviors are seen quite differently, though still disturbing. We will talk more about performativity of childhood when we talk about Rhonda from the film Bad Seed in our part two series. But let's continue with the innocent and the rage around them. The innocent are usually the target of the monster, and whether the monster is another child, or an outside force, or like in The Shining, the Babadook, and the Brood, the monster could be their own parent. You thought your parents sucked. Well, the Brood terrified audiences, and it's in itself challenged the this newfound subgenre, if you could call it its own subgenre, as it plays off of the very essence of motherhood and birthing of a child and all of those really pretty fanciful things, right? But in Nola's case, the birth of her own rage. Her rage being in the form of children that look eerily similar to her daughter Candace. And of course, Nola herself was traumatized as a child and now her anger affects her own child. You can see the symbolism in itself there of, of how parents put, you know, a lot of pressure and their own problems on their children. You get it. You get the idea. Well, the Babadook is also an excellent modern example of this. At the beginning, we, we believe that Samuel is the classic evil, monstrous child. Though he is troubled, we find out that the true monster is the Babadook, a symbolic monster within Amelia herself. The, this realization turns Samuel back into the more innocent character, who is actually quite resourceful and very dangerous. Not just parents can be the cause of the terror, it can be something unexpected, perhaps something lurking in your child's bedroom. <laughs> Throw those dolls away! Things considered innocent, such as lullabies, childhood nursery rhymes, have been changed into something quite sinister in many horror tales, such as One, two, Freddy's coming for you, or even children's toys themselves. In 1988, we were introduced to the psychopathic doll, Chucky, also known as Charles Lee Ray, who uses black magic to put his soul into a good guy doll. 
a doll that would later belong to Andy. Unlike Toy Story, this Andy definitely did not appreciate his best friend coming alive and while killing the babysitter. <laughs> Good times. Well, a stranger example is the film adaptation Silent Hill. A young Sharon has visions of a mysterious town of Silent Hill, and in hopes of finding answers, her mother Rose takes her only for both of them to be trapped within this foggy, creepy dimension with, you know, Pyramid Head and spooky nurses. Well, Silent Hill has been taken over by the rage of Alyssa, who is a spitting image of Sharon, and we soon find out that Sharon is the manifestation of Alyssa's remaining innocence. They soon merge together, causing them and Rose to be trapped in the foggy dimension of Silent Hill. That in itself is pretty symbolic, showing that Sharon is the epitome of innocence, while Alyssa, well, isn't. Now we're going back to, well, evil parents. The Shining's Danny is not only an innocent, but also possesses a gift known as the Shining. Now, children who possess supernatural powers we'll be talking more about in part two, but Danny fits within the context of the innocent at this time. So the Shining, which from Dick, uh, is not things that anyone can notice, but that people who shine can see. Just like they can see things that haven't happened yet. Well, sometimes they can see things that have happened a long time ago. The beauty of The Shining is that we have three children who have been affected by the dangers of the Overlook Hotel, the Grady Twins, and Danny. And they are both seen as the innocent who have rage around them that are threatening their lives. Danny's life and innocence is threatened by not only the supernatural forces around him, you know, like the naked, creepy old lady in the bathtub sort of evil spirits, but also his own father, Jack Torrance, who slowly loses his sanity due to evil spirits tempting him to murder his entire family. Luckily for Danny, uh, his mother Wendy is quite resourceful and according to Grady, stronger than he imagined. Each of these films show various dynamics of innocence, either lost or threatened, or even a manifestation of innocence like Sharon is. And none of these children were left unscathed, but each were luckily saved by their loving mothers and fathers. So a lot of these films definitely showcase how the innocent is typically saved by, well, you know, the people who love them. Well, that's it for this week's Jump Scare. Let me know in the comments below what your favorite film is that has a child protagonist or antagonist. And be sure to check out part two of our this series where I'll be talking about the monstrous child, where the child is seen as a serial killer or a psychopath. And of course, the children who possess supernatural powers. And we'll go more into the history, including one of the earlier examples, Rhonda from Bad Seed. Well, be sure to like and subscribe to the Potner TV channel on YouTube and check out our Patreon for even more content. And a huge special thanks goes to our sponsor, Famous Monsters of Filmland. And until next time, stay spooky, my friends.